my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Our theme for this week is truth in the age of fake news. And our big questions, can truth exist in the age of fake news? We looked at that on Monday. How do the scriptures speak of end time religion? We looked at that on Tuesday. Don't all religions lead to the same end? That was yesterday. Uh, And today we ask, isn't it arrogant to say Jesus is the only way? And tomorrow we ask, what does it mean to have just Jesus? What does that contemporary phrase really mean? Our co-host today is Helen Gray. Helen's the lay pastoral leader of the Birdwood uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Helen, welcome. It's great to have you back again. Thank you, Gary. It's a delight to be here. I really appreciate the input that you're able to give every single week. Uh, tell me, you're enjoying winter in South Oz? No. <laughs> Well, actually, that's not completely true. In winter, I want to become like a bear. I want to hibernate. And I love snuggling into my warm blankets. You know, mm. I'm just so grateful. I've got a, a lovely bed and warm blankets and a roof over my head. But through the day, in the mornings especially, I have been freezing. Yeah, yeah. But it's certainly early yeah. in the morning. I tend to get out of bed about 5 o'clock in the morning. I've mm. got to admit, I have to get up. I have to turn yes. that heater on, close my door, and make sure my office actually stokes up to a, to a relatively decent heat before I can really start to get into, into Bible study mm. and, uh, uh, and prayer and, uh, uh, yeah, spending, spending time. Really looking forward, actually, to uh, a week or so's time. I'm actually going to be taking a month uh, a month off I'm taking some long service leave so I'm really looking forward to being able to do that and we're going to have uh, Nick Creeder now Nick Nick is a fantastic uh, radio operator Nick of course leads the uh, Bible study program here in in South Australia he's on radio he's familiar uh, with uh, uh, with Faith FM and it's really fantastic to have uh, have Nick uh, going to be sharing uh, day by day I'm going to be mm. taking about a month off so I am really looking forward to to, uh, mm. to that month off. We're going to miss you, Gary. I do work with Nick, so yes, he is yeah. a great guy, so yeah. it should be great, but we wish you a great holiday. Oh, yes. I, I've been looking at this for a, a long time. <laughs> not going to go anywhere. Normally when I have long service leave, I try to go somewhere mm-hmm. and do something, but of course, mm-hmm. this year there's not many places we can go to, and uh, so we're just going to stay uh, locally and do some local trips. My uh, my wife will be on uh, uh, her school, uh, school holidays during uh, those those uh, two weeks of that uh, four weeks I'll be off. So uh, we're looking forward to being able to spend a bit of time and go out to lunch together and uh, enjoy each other's company for uh, uh, for a little while. But tell us, how is your uh, church restart? Uh, how's it going? It's going very well, Gary, very well. We were wondering how it would go, but um, the church members decided that it was time. Yeah. And it's funny, not only the church members, some people in the community 
thought it was time that we opened up, which I thought was really interesting. And so we opened up last Sabbath. Some people in the community yes, felt that it was made time. made a comment. Yes, I thought, how interesting is that? Um, and there's quite a few waiting for us to start our Healthy Friends, uh-huh. which we do once a month, which is to do with health, of course, and, and recipes. And um, so we haven't set a date for that yet. We only had about 12 because we were following all the rules, and we, we didn't have our families with children, which uh-huh. we do miss. Uh-huh. Um, but the ones that we had, some have been very isolated without Zoom or anything like that. And just to see the joy on their faces, yeah. Gary, and you've yeah. witnessed that yeah. in yours. Yeah. See the joy on their faces when they came in. It is vastly different than doing something by Zoom. Yeah. You know, and just to see the willingness of each one to to take part. Yeah. Was certainly certainly in my church, I'm conscious mm. that there's almost a a rebellion against Zoom in some ways. <laughs> yes. so it's uh, it's quite funny to to watch because Zoom Zoom is good as far as it goes, but it does create a barrier, doesn't it, between mm. uh, between the the speakers and the uh, you know the the congregation, if you like. And it's that mm. barrier that you want to break that down because above everything else, you know, the thing I love about Christianity, I love the Sabbath, is relationship, being able to spend time. In relationship and that with that wall there it's never quite the same is it i'm leading the zoom charge by the way <laughs> i think there is a place for it don't get me wrong yeah. but i am so over zoom yeah so yeah. i'll be out there in the charge <laughs> yes yeah. helen look yes. something i'd love to uh i'd love to sort of get your uh, your feedback on uh, just a few days ago the uh, international bible society put out a press release imploring parents to teach children to love the bible more now this is just a little bit of what they said. They said this, if you've experienced the transformative nature of God's word in your own life, there's no doubt you would want your children to have the same hunger in their lives. The word of God is something that we can all anchor our lives to since as parents we cannot guarantee our children won't face hardship. We can only trust that we can properly equip them with God's word and give them a firm foundation to stand on. The big question is how can we help our children to cultivate a love and a passion for the Bible? With so many distractions like electronics, the article goes on to say, and social media pulling for children's attention in this day and age, how can we get our children to see the magnitude and importance of the Bible? Now, to me, this article really jumped out at me because Helen, I'm so conscious that in many ways I'm I'm tending to feel that we're getting within even my own church a certain biblical illiteracy. Uh, how are you finding it? I I have to agree with you. Sadly, it is there, um, and I think also what what the children are noticing is that sometimes, and this is really sad, it's not just the illiteracy of the Bible. Some people actually know their Bibles well, mm-hmm. but when they're home, they're not living the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so when a child goes along for church example, they'll see one thing, and then they get home, and they see something else. Yeah. And there is a hypocrisy yeah. You know, yeah. I've seen it happen. I saw a young guy who um, came from a broken home and um, he went to his father asking for help and his father wanted to preach to him. Mm. And the young man said to me, he said, he didn't care about me before. Mm. And he went and did all sorts of things. He said, now he wants me to come to his church and he preaches to me. You know, there was a hypocrisy. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's very sad that we're seeing it. In, in the adults, we're seeing the illiteracy. 
yeah. of the Bible because they're not spending time in the Word. Yeah. And I love it when I see a family. I, I know several families who will sit there with their children. They will open the Bible together. They will discuss it together, and they will live that life. Mm. Fantastic way for the children then or the next generation to see there is something here. Mm. Mm. They rely on God. I can rely on Him. Mm. They, it's been a it's a witness it's our influence this is this is a really key point i think mm. uh, what you're making there helen because i'm conscious that uh, certainly since even the beginning of my ministry the the level of bible literacy has certainly dropped significantly uh, I, I i certainly recall on one particular occasion this really jumped out at me in a really a significant manner because i was i was actually studying the scriptures with a with a young man he was actually now in his in his early 20s so we certainly no teenager any longer, but he had a history. And I knew his history. He had actually been to a uh, to a religious school, and uh, so I had certain assumptions when I started studying the Bible with him. And um, I was studying. Uh, he he was particularly interested in the book of Daniel and biblical prophecy. So we were digging into some of the prophecies in in Daniel, uh, and he he was he was stood in awe at some of the material that we're actually showing him because that material is really out there. It really challenges people. Absolutely. But after we had studied together for three or four weeks, he, he looked at me and he said, um, uh, Pastor Gary. He said, By the way, just tell me who is Daniel. And uh, I thought, okay, okay. You made an assumption. I have made an assumption here. In fact, I, I said to him, I said, you know Daniel. You, rem- you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den. He looked at me and he said, no, Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den? What's that? And I started to tell And I suddenly realized that after three weeks of uh, teaching the Bible to him, teaching Bible prophecy, he actually didn't understand the the fundamental Bible stories, and he had no context to actually put the his belief and his understanding into the big picture. Actually, wasn't there? It's a it's a huge challenge. Gary, you have hit on one of my pet peeves. Absolutely, I've seen it happen too often, and it's one thing as ministers. We all do it, mm-hmm. and we ought not to do it. Mm-hmm. I had a friend, and I've still got a friend actually, and her husband was coming along, not, a, not of our denomination, but he wasn't brought up in those stories either. And he said week after week he would hear the person up the front say, oh, you know the story of so-and-so, and then he'd get right into what he wanted to talk about. And then he would turn to a text, and by the time my friend had found this text, the guy was onto something else, and it was the assumptions all the way through. And I remember um, leading a woman's ministry group once, and a friend of mine who had been brought up in this church came to me and said, please don't assume that because we've been brought up in this church that we all know yeah. The things yeah. that you were yeah. privileged to learn when you came in on a mission. Yeah. And yeah. that was an eye-opener for me yeah. because I was almost jealous of people that were brought up with the knowledge that, you know, these, this wonderful book yeah. gives us. And and I thought, wow, I learned a valuable I'm just valuable actually, I'm actually aware that there are some people who have actually uh, um, avoided joining Bible study groups simply because they've said it's – it's they know so much more than mm. me, and they actually didn't want to be embarrassed mm. by the amount of knowledge which they didn't have concerning the scriptures. Now, yeah. to me, that's a huge challenge to us who are who are believers, isn't it? Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And I think we have got to present, you were talking about children before, we've got to present in a manner that is interesting. Yeah. I'm not using the word entertaining. Mm-hmm. That's a worldly word. But it's interesting and it grabs their attention. Yeah. Like that young man, if he'd known the story of who you were talking about yeah. and how God led him through that lion's yeah. den, for example, that would have made even a more impact on him. Indeed. Learning Indeed. about the prophecies. Indeed. He could see the whole life of Daniel and how God did this and how God mm. did that and that he could then trust God with the prophecies. Yeah. Makes a big difference. Yeah, but it's when you can actually pull the, the prophecies into the context of their stories that they make so much sense. And we've got to simplify. Yeah. yeah. Truly, honestly, sometimes we get so, what's the word I want, Gary? Theologically. Complex. <laughs> yeah. Complex. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And And really, the Bible is something that even little children. Should be We're able told to, that indeed. we should be yeah. understanding. Life. You know, I was really interested yes. because back to this International Bible Society yeah. article again, because they started to give, you know, they started to answer this question: How do you instill a love for the Bible in, for example, your children? And basically, their number one suggestion, I really appreciated what they said was this: Ultimately, our kids want our time. They want to be around us. They want to enjoy the things that we enjoy. And then they used this particular illustration in an article by The Stream. Author Bob Hartman shares about his father's love for cars, uh, which led to his own love for cars. In Bob's words, my dad didn't talk about cars because he thought it was good for us. He didn't sit down and say, it's time car, it's car time, kids. Pay attention. He talked about cars because he loved cars. He couldn't help it. As parents, our love for God's word should be so genuine, so strong, that we can't help but share about it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And even look, you can you can do that in so many ways at home. There are so I mean, Jesus used it in the form of object lessons. He would use things that are around we could do that at home with with our children. Yeah. There's so many things, Gary. I I suppose I come back to just one passage of Scripture that I, I, I really love. It's one of the most glorious passages of Scripture uh, in uh, in the entire Bible, and it's it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is what, uh, what Moses is saying to the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you ever wonder where Christ picked up that particular statement from, mm. he's actually quoting from this particular portion in the Old Testament. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you know, I'm conscious that um, of so many families that I've actually seen do exactly this thing. They've done, they haven't written it on the doorposts of their gates, but they've put it on their fridge door. Have you ever seen people do that? Yes, and I've actually seen Trucky put it on the door of his truck. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that as well, actually. Um, You know, I I find the people who actually take this verse quite literally Hmm. seem to have... A, a link to the scriptures. And they have a connection with God. And they have a connection with God. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a, yeah. it was an excellent article that the International yeah, Bible good. Society put, uh, put out. And I think it was a very powerful message for those of us who are living in, uh, certainly the early, uh, third millennium. But look, let's come to some music. This is Fountain View Academy, uh, orchestra and singers. And, uh, I love this song, Higher Ground. Please enjoy. 
will bring into your heart? What about your friends, family or workmates? Faith FM's free offer for you today is a life-changing book called The Great Controversy, filled with stories of hope and encouragement that are guaranteed to draw you closer to Jesus. To receive your free copy of The Great Controversy, go to faithfm.com.au or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Hey, great to have you back again. That's uh, that's a fantastic little book. Uh, please grab that uh, that book if you can. It uh, it's got so much. It's packed full of uh, of quality material. It's called the Great Controversy. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Helen Gray, and Helen's the lay pastoral leader of the Birdwood. Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the big question that we're talking about today is, isn't it arrogant to say Jesus is the only way? It happened about uh, two years ago. It caused social media to go into meltdown. It was later written up in the religious press. The article was entitled, A Megachurch Pastor Says Believing Jesus is the Only Way to Heaven is Absolute Insanity. Michael Walrod Jr. is pastor who leads more than 10,000 members of the First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem. However, one of his sermons has his congregation screaming fire and brimstone. In a sermon from, this is 2018, uh, the pastor said there are multiple ways to get to God, telling the congregation, if you are a person who believes in God, these words can apply to you. No matter what faith, background you come from. 
We get so twisted, he says, in this country and in many cultures to create divides and boundaries and barriers between human beings because of our faith difference. He continued, think about it, uh, that we use the thing that we think makes it closer to God, the very thing to divide us from, an, from other people. And that makes no sense. And I'm not one of those people. He also added, there was a time when you could see people in the pulpit say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to be lost. That's insanity in many ways because that's not what he says Jesus even believes. And so the key is that you believe in God, not Jesus. And whatever your path to God is, celebrate that. Personally, I can celebrate that again. We have enough in this world that divides us. We need to find those things that bring us together. Sounds inclusive and avoiding Christian dissension, correct? Well, the sermon caused an absolute outrage. After more than 52,000 views on Facebook, there were comments like these. Wow, has that, Bible, has that man ever opened the Bible? Faith, he said, is not a monolith, and Jesus is not the way, this preacher says, for the Jewish faith, for Buddhism, for Hinduism, and for countless other religions. Finally, the pastor was named by Newsweek as one of the Lord's foot, foot soldiers. Do you know, as I, as I read this particular article, Helen, it really, I suppose, challenged my thinking because I'm conscious that there are so many people in this world that would probably uh, agree uh, with what this megachurch pastor uh, actually said. I mean, uh, the, the reality is this, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on the um, preaching of the megachurch pastor. Does he have a point? After all, teaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven is, in fact, a very divisive teaching. What think you? Well, number one, I think it's very interesting. He has given his opinion, and it is an opinion, and he's entitled to his opinion, um, but he's also the leader of the flock. Mm. And I'd like to agree with the person that commented, does he never open the Bible? Yeah, yeah. And I think the final comment that you read about he's a foot soldier, yeah, he's a foot soldier because he keeps putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> I'm sorry. He needs to drink lots of water. He needs to drink lots of the living water. Yeah, yeah. Because clearly that's not how Christ looks at things. Yeah, yeah. Really. It's certainly something that once you get into the scriptures, this this particular view is something that if you're going to accept a biblical worldview, you have to look at this question and say, well, actually, you know, mm-hmm. the scriptures do appear to appear to teach that Jesus is the only way. Absolutely. Absolutely. But in saying that, too many people then come about, come back and say, well, that's an awfully arrogant statement. Yeah, yeah. That's And, and that... Is the big one of the biggest challenges that yeah. Christianity does actually face? And tell me, Gary, is Christianity actually an arrogant religion? It's we we would hope not. I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> Please don't say yes. <laughs> no, I believe it's not arrogant because when I look up the word arrogance, arrogance is a kind of conceited, mm. overbearing attitude. 
And look, I know there are some Christians, in quotation marks, that would come across that way. Mm. But a true Christian, no. Arrogance is this kind of conceited, overbearing attitude where a person thinks he is more important or smarter than he really is. Mm. Arrogance is one of the things Christianity actually opposes because we are not more important or smarter or better than anyone else. Mm. We are sinners saved by grace. And because of that, we have an attitude or should have an attitude of love and humility. You know, it is a claim, though, that Christ and we are repeating what he said was he arrogant? Interesting that's, question. That's an important question because yeah. once we dig into the scriptures, we're actually going to find some th- remarkable things that Christ actually said. Absolutely. Was he divisive? On occasion. Yes, uh, we, On have occasions. To agree. On occasions. we have to he agree. We have to agree. But it, divisive because he wanted to save everybody. Yeah. He was know? actually challenging the status quo, wasn't he? I believe he, so. he was actually challenging the political correctness mm-hmm. of his day because just as in our day there was there's political correctness and there's a status quo, so in Christ's day there was a political correctness and a status quo. And what he did was actually to challenge mm-hmm. his society in so many of those areas. Uh, now, no one would say that he was arrogant about it, mm-hmm. but he was pointing out a thing called truth. Okay. So if we believe in the claim of Christ, is it arrogant to depend upon the wisdom, the truth and work of someone else, particularly when he is Jesus? It's That's a, not arrogancy. No. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh, and John eight twenty four and 58 states that. He's one who walked on water, Matthew fourteen twenty five. He calmed a storm with a command, Mark four thirty nine, and he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. You know, exclusivity is not arrogance any more than it is arrogant to say that I have exclusive um, sexual rights to my husband. So what you've actually mentioned there is that you've got, if you like, there is evidence. You know, to me, one of the most beautiful things that uh, actually occurs within the New Testament is that Certain Christ makes certain claims, but in making those claims, you then get evidence. For example, you know, I think of particularly the resurrection from the dead. That's huge because as you dig into that particular issue, mm. you find that the evidence, both from the church fathers, from the writings of his day, from the scriptures themselves, is just so overwhelming that the story of the resurrection did actually take place. We serve a living. We serve a living God. And you know, to me, what that qualifies as is evidence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if in fact a person is making a claim, no man comes to the Father but by me, you know, some would say that's almost a, that's really out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the only way that, and yet you've got to say, hey, is there evidence to back up this particular claim? Absolutely. Absolutely. But let me get on to this point that you mentioned before about exclusivity. You know, when I just said it's not arrogance anymore to say, as I said, you know, exclusive sexual rights to my husband or that a police officer has exclusive rights of wearing a police uniform or that only one person can hold the office of the President of the United States at a time. Just because something is exclusive does not mean it is morally wrong. Therefore, it's not arrogant to repeat the words of Christ whom we follow when he says he is the only way to salvation. 
Mm-hmm. So, again, let me say, Christianity is not arrogant. It teaches humility and love towards others. It denies having even the intentions of any arrogance. Saying that Jesus is the only way does not mean that we're being arrogant. We are simply repeating and proclaiming what Christ himself had said. Some have actually said, you know there, Helen, that, you know, Christ, um, that Christianity is both um, totally inclusive as well as exclusive. In other words, mm. you get this invitation within Christianity, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you've got, come unto me, all who labor. And in that call of come to, uh, come, that call to all is an amazing of inclusivity, <laughs> if mm. I can say that mm. properly. Um, Whereas, um, but Christianity also teaches ex- an exclusive dimension in that uh, while all are called, um, there is still only one way to the kingdom mm-hmm. according to the scriptures. Yep, absolutely. And by the way, that is all the way through scripture, from yeah. Genesis right the way to Revelation. Anyone who would say Christianity is arrogant is saying that Jesus is arrogant and in the process denying who he actually claims to be. Mm. Got to have a cough here, Gary. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Okay. So the same, it seems obvious that the major issue is not whether it is arrogant and small-minded to believe there is only one way to God. The questions that must be answered are these. On what basis, which you said before, can we claim that faith in Jesus alone brings people into right relationship with God? On what basis can we claim that he is the only legitimate way to the Lord? And the answer is that only the messianic work of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, provides a true antidote to the problem of sin. It's only through Jesus that sin is definitely addressed or definitively, mm. I should say. Mm. It is only through Jesus that there is a way for the worst sinners to get right with God. Yeah. It's not the moral teachings of Jesus that are totally unique. It's not the concept of mercy that is so unusual. It is not even the Savior's moral example that is absolutely different. Rather, it is the fact that he, the divine Son, took our place, paid the penalty for our sins, thereby satisfying the justice of God and definitively and absolutely securing eternal salvation for all who believe by enduring the penalty for our sins and he purchased our redemption Mm. but I'd like to go on to something that you actually brought up the other day but before we do that Acts 4 verse 12 and um, I, I, I just think this pretty well says it all Acts four twelve. If you've got that there, yeah, this is a very powerful passage of uh, of scripture, and of course here we've got um, Peter and John. They've been arrested. They're uh, addressing the Sanhedrin, and they are being judged and assessed. And uh, this is what uh, uh, what uh, Peter says to the Sanhedrin: Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Do you know this is a remarkable statement? Because what we actually have here is that Peter and John are actually addressing the Sanhedrin. Mm. Now this is the very top. Of the Jewish nation at uh, at their time, and yet they, as Jews, stand there and say, "There's no other name given amongst men mm. by which we must be saved." I can only it's imagine powerful. how that 
um, actually came across to that illustrious group. Mm. And to some people even today. Yeah. You know, in our pluralistic, postmodern, and you've mentioned that through the week, Western world, few things irk people more than the gospel message of exclusivity. Here we go again. After all, absolute truth statements have caused major problems in the last 100 years. I'm thinking Joseph Stalin believed his way was the right way and he murdered 20 million of his own people. You know, Adolf Hitler, he believed he had the truth and he killed 6 million Jews and 6 million gypsies. Mm. Some, therefore, wish to say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And, of course, the moment they make such statements, they're denying their own proclamation. There must be absolute truth. Why? Because if 2 plus 2 does not equal 4, I'm sorry, bridge builders cannot do their thing. Exactly. Rocket scientists cannot hurl satellites into space. And be clear on this, Christianity is not the only religion that makes claims of exclusivity. Islam clearly does, saying that only confession of Allah as the one true God. Muhammad, as his prophet, makes possible the entry into paradise. Mm -hmm. And even Hinduism is exclusive, saying that supreme authority comes only through the Vedas, which is their scriptures, and belief in karma and the reality of reincarnation. And let's not forget that... There was a martyrdom of Graham Staines and his 11-year-old son in January 1999 at the hands of militant Hindus in Orissa in India. You know, the first question is this. Does Christianity teach that Jesus really is the only way to God? I think that's the crux here. Clearly, the apostles believed it. Yeah. You've just read from Acts. Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4, boldly said so. Jesus, whom many admire as a noble, moral, and kind man, said, I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me and that's john fourteen six. moses put forth the covenant numerous times in the pentateuch looking forward to the coming of the mediator of that covenant you know we look through david proclaimed it in psalm so mm. did isaiah and zechariah to name only two of the old testament prophets mm. but no doubt about it christianity does teach that jesus is the only way to God. And I'd like to discuss that a little bit if we've got the chance and the mm. time, Gary, that the way, the truth, and the life. Let's just break that down yeah. if we can. You know, I'd like to say, suggest that there are three ways that Christianity can be humble, enlightened, and tolerant from the claim of Jesus himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I was to say that in the time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were coming through to what they called the sanctuary, there was only one gate. Mm-hmm. Only one gate. And every part of that gate symbolized Jesus. Mm. Jesus is the way. What does it really mean? As the way, Jesus doesn't create a path for us to hike. We can never make it. You know, we can't do enough spiritual, moral, or social good to impress God. Much less love him with all our soul, mind and strength We can't make it up the path We all fail to love and serve the infinitely admirable and lovable God In fact, we love other things more Which is a crime of infinite proportions It's against a holy, righteous God The sentence for our crime must be carried out He hikes down into our sin, our rebellion and our failures And he heaps them all on his back and he climbs onto a cross where he's punished for our crime, Mm. a terrible, gruesome death, the innocent punished for the guilty. And this is what is meant by Jesus to be the way. He is the redemption way. He takes our place. This understanding of Jesus as a way should make us incredibly humble, not arrogant, and we realize how undeserving we are and how much mercy we have shown. Mm. But it also says that Jesus is also the truth. 
And he was speaking the truth when he, he said these words. What does it mean? In John 1, we're told that God became flesh and was full of grace and truth in Jesus. The truth is that God is Jesus, and this is enlightening. Christianity is the only religion where God comes down to man and becomes man. Mm. In all other religions, man has to work his way to God. The truth is Jesus. The truth is a person and the truth dies in our place for our crimes and in turn gives us his life. And finally, Jesus is the life. Later on, the Gospel of John, Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet he will live. He goes down into the valley to take our death and rises up from the dead on the other side of the valley where he's preparing a new place for us to enjoy life with him forever. The hope of that life should break into the lives of Christians today, making us persuasively tolerant. You know, we tolerantly extend people the dignity of their own beliefs and we don't minimize the differences between religions we honor them the life of christ produces in us true humility but it also produces in us true enlightenment we've come to grasp grace that god works his way down to us dies for our moral and religious failures and offers us life and if this is true and of course we believe that it is gary we must lovingly and humbly try to persuade others to believe in jesus who alone offers a wonderful promise of the way to God, the truth of God, and the life of God. Wow, wow. So much in, uh, in what you've actually shared there, Helen. That's, uh, uh, that's in some really, really powerful material there. Let's come to, uh, to some more music. Uh, this is uh, Chris Rice, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing.
Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Helen Gray, and Helen's the lay pastoral leader of the Birdwood Seventh-day Adventist Church. And our big question is, isn't it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? Uh, Helen, really appreciate what it is you've been uh, been sharing there. Do you want to bring it together for us? Oh, I was just wondering if you'd still caught up with me, Gary. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I re- you, <laughs> sorry, you had some I quality like material. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I, just, I just wanted to mention what do we do with this truth if we truly believe that Jesus is the way? You know, as a believer, we need to humble ourselves and be joyful about what God has done for you. You know, excuse me, what you could never do for yourself. He gave you Jesus. He opened your eyes to see the truth. He's given you a new heart to love God and hate sin. And you must proclaim Jesus as the only way of salvation to any and all who will listen. And if you're not yet in Christ, put away your false notion of some measure of goodness because you and I are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked the bible says we have no hope in ourselves or in any other religion but we can flee to christ to be saved mm. and we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of god acknowledging our sin complete and utter helplessness and believe that jesus is the savior of sinners he died for you and he died for me he was raised again from the dead he can forgive all sins and he can and will give us the holy spirit who will enable us to walk in gospel holiness mm. Turn from our sins, but he alone has the words of eternal life. He alone could say truthfully and mean it and be the only one that could do it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'd actually like to actually dig into some of what you've said there, finished with uh, 
uh, Helen, because I'm really conscious that there is a really practical question that does um, that we do need to address, and it's this one. You know, if a person wants to come to accept Christ, what is the process? Now, I'm really conscious that, you know, there's many different ways of answering uh, this particular question, but, you know, one of the ones that really stands out to me is uh, is this uh, story in Acts chapter 2, because in Acts chapter 2, what you get is the great apostle uh, Peter. Uh, it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's been poured out, and Peter has started to preach a sermon uh, concerning uh, concerning what a person must do uh, to be saved. He calls them. He touches them. And uh, the whole sermon uh, stand, uh, starts in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this, And Peter standing up with the eleven. And that to me is a, is a statement that I really love because what we've actually got here is uh, Peter it says standing up. Now, you know, what a lot of people don't realize that in Christ's day, preachers often spoke ex cathedra or from the seat. They'd actually speak sitting down. But here in this particular sermon, what we find is that Peter is not speaking from a sitting position as most teachers actually would. Rather, he's talking as one who is standing up. And that is actually really significant because the people who stood up in Christ's day were actually the witnesses in a court of law. What's actually occurring in this sermon here, Peter's actually not actually preaching, he's actually witnessing as one would who was in the court of law. He then goes through and he talks about the history of the Jewish nation. He talks about the way in which the um, uh, the ancients were led by God and saw changed lives as a result. He, he saw God as operating in the past and how important it is for us to be able to see how God has led in past generations. And, you know, as um, as he gets down towards the end of his sermon, I really appreciate um, uh, it goes from verse 36 down to verse 39. And this is how the scriptures uh, record this um, um, the end of Peter's sermon. Can I just jump in yeah, here sure. just for one minute? We've got to remember who Peter was. He was impulsive. Yeah. You know, he showed a lot of bravado. And then he really saw Christ. Yeah. He became a new creature yeah. with humbleness and boldness. And here he is so bold that he is standing up, as you said, yeah. in that group. He had denied Christ, Gary. And, and, and he was forgiven. And he was forgiven. And, yeah. you know, Peter here Beautiful is story. wanting to rescue his neighbours. Yes, absolutely. And, and when you, you consider what is actually taking place, you say, hey, Peter, thank you for what you're actually doing. Is this arrogant? No. Mm. It's no more arrogant than it is if I knock down the, the wall of a person whose house is burning mm-hmm. and saying, hey, this is the way to salvation. This is how important uh, this actually is. Mm-hmm. And here we've got in verse 37, this is how it's described in the scriptures. Now, when they he- heard this, this is the crowd, they were cut to the heart. It's amazing how the words of God, the words of the preacher, the words of the scriptures often cut people to the very heart. Mine says pierced their heart. Pierce their heart. Yes. Another way of saying it. Mm. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what are we going to do? Have you have you ever been conscious of people asking that question, Helen? 
Yes, I have actually. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's a very important question. I think yeah. everybody needs to ask that question. It's exactly at, at some point in your yes. life, if you haven't asked this particular question, yes. this is probably this is the key question mm. that you can that you can ask. You know, some people say, "What do I need to do to be saved?" Yeah. You know, but I think it is a very critical question that yeah. we all need to do. Another one is, "What are you going to do with Christ?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's another way of expressing exactly the yes. same. Same thing. And it it goes on. I'm interested in Peter's answer. This is what he says. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that answer is one that jumps out at me because it actually includes a component that I suggest to you, Helen, is actually often overlooked in the contemporary world in which we are living. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Now, Helen... What is repentance? I mean, is it part of coming to Christ? I was just about to jump in and ask you that question. Well, yeah, I believe repentance is very, very important. It means to turn from sin, to change the direction. You know, God allows U-turns. And, um, you know, and he won't charge you for it or fine you for it. You know, change the direction of your life from selfishness and rebellion against God's laws. But at the same time, you must turn to Christ. You know, depending on him for forgiveness, mercy, guidance and purpose. We can't save ourselves, Gary. Only God can save us. And then there is the part where it also goes on to about, you know, being baptized. Do you, you think know? that's, do you think that's important? I mean, this, this water, I mean, so often, I mean, I've, I've heard that, you know, when a person comes to Christ, you must be born again. And it's sort of in a, a sort of an airy fairy type of, you know, well, what does that actually mean? Born again? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've put my hand up. I've been born again. But here, <laughs> Peter seems to be even more clear cut. In his expectations. Now, repentance mm. um, is, in fact, I would suggest to you today, repentance is one of those things that has really fallen onto hard times. Mm. Um, because repentance is not something that is spoken about all that freely, even in the Christian world. Or have I have got this wrong, do you think, Helen? No, I don't think you've got it wrong at all. But notice the sequence that Peter mentions. Mm. Firstly, repent of your sins and then turn to God. You notice that? And then be baptized in his name. Mm. There is a process there, you know, and why are, we, why are we coming? Why are we repenting? Because we want the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in regard to the baptism part, you know, baptism identifies us with Christ and with the Christian community of believers. It's actually it's, the start. Baptism is actually the start of a brand new life. Yeah, it's um, a condition of discipleship, yeah. but it's also a sign of faith. I've always said baptism is the outward sign of an inward change. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. change you per se, yeah. but it's you declaring that you have this relationship with Christ yeah. and that you know with a surety He's forgiving you. Yeah. You know, one John one nine one yeah one John one nine um, says, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all. 
Did you catch that word? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Praise yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite texts. Sorry, this, I had to bring it This in. is a wonderful <laughs> offer that's yeah. actually given to us, isn't it? You know, and yes. what Peter's actually doing here is he's presenting. He's saying, hey, I want you to... And to me, in the world in which we're living today, I'm just so conscious that there are, there are so many that are struggling in the depths of um, a sinful depression. Let me put it to you that way. And they have never taken their their um uh, their their sin to the foot of the cross. You know, one of the most beautiful books in the entire book in the entire scripture is Pilgrim's Progress. Love Pilgrim's Progress because you get the story, of course, of Christian. Mm-hmm. He's travelling from um, the land of what's it, what's it called? The land he's he's moving from. I know he goes he, through the slough of what do they call it? And he's despond, going through. Yes. But you know, he at, finally makes it to the cross. Yeah. But it's at the cross where a burden falls off his back. And, you know, to me, as I look yes. at that, I say, hey, that's incredibly powerful. Yes. But, you know, the thing that I that really jumps out at me, because there's something here that we've actually um, haven't mentioned yet, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, of course, one of the beautiful things, that the Holy Spirit has got a number of works that happen in the life of the individual. They Teach the, the whole that the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit teaching us all things. Yes. It talks about producing fruit in the life of the believer. It talks about giving gifts to the believer. Yes. And you know, to me, as I look at this, I say, Hey, God is just standing there wanting to give us wonderful gifts. Oh, man. But the mm-hmm. best part of this passage is actually what comes next. For the promise is to you and to your children mm. and to those who are afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call. You know, I love that because what it means is who's this promise for, Helen? It's for everybody. It is, isn't it? It's for everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, Christianity is not, and sorry for, for breaking in on you this one, Christianity is not arrogant because it's totally uh, inclusive. Yes. It's saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is not exclusive. That is inclusive. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes. That whosoever is you, Gary, and it's me, and it's every listener that's out there. We can put our own names in there, and it falls in line. Whosoever believes in him shall be what? Uh, sorry, I'm uh, sorry. I was thinking. Uh, 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 sorry, Helen, you caught me there. I tell you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do okay, that to me. Okay, but whosoever believes in him shall shall not perish. Yes, and you know what? This story of Peter. If we jumped over to verse forty-seven, and remember, it does say three thousand were added. It says, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Mm, There's the mm, process that yeah. Peter was saying. You go through this, you get the 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 power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to In be other words, saved. You, you, wow. you dump your burden. Yes. Um, you become lightened uh, yes. after you've done but You've accepted Jesus Christ. You receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, amen. And then you um, go your way according to this story, praising God. And, and community. With, don't in, forget in the assembling of the, of the saints. Love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah, Helen, so look, I. I'm wondering, <laughs> how would you feel about praying? Because I'm really conscious there may be some of our listeners yes. who would really love to accept Jesus Christ. Yes. Would you pray absolutely. the sinner's prayer for them? 
Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, what a joy, what a privilege it is to come before you and bring all these listeners to you, Lord. Some of them are there and they're seeking and they want to be saved, Father, and they don't know what to say. Please impress upon them through the power of the Holy Spirit to come to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your saving grace. Please help me. Lord, I pray that you will hear all their cries from their heart. You know the needs of each person. Come into their life and give them life anew, the past gone, Father, Mm, and starting a brand new life in you, Father. Walk with them. Help them to put their sins aside. Leave them at the cross, Lord. Do a U-turn and come straight to you and live their life in the knowledge that you have sent your only son to save just as such as them. Mm. Dear Lord, bless each one of them, Father. Be very, very close. I know we've covered a lot of ground, dear Father, but I just pray that you will enlighten each one. Meet the needs, Father, that not one person listening will turn away, that they will come to the cross and say, I want you in my life, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I give you my life now, and I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Father, please bless each person now. Thank you for the opportunity of sharing you with every listener today. Thank you, and thank you for hearing our prayer and answering it. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Helen Gray on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when we, when we ask, is the contemporary Just Jesus movement biblically sound? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy the Easter hymns band from Heaven You Came, the Servant King. From Heaven You Came, helpless and turn our world your glory vent. Not to be served, but to serve, and give your.